Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk about late season scouting in soybeans. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, our number here is 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. So today on the show, uh, I, I, I... do want to get into this late season scouting thing and soybeans because we're seeing a lot of stuff. But before we do that, I just wanted to talk to you about the Ag PhD Field Day. It's coming up two weeks from tomorrow. That would be July 29th. We would love to have you join us on our farm. Just go to agphd.com to learn more about this free event that we put on each year to say thanks to you for listening to Ag PhD Radio. All right, so as far as late season scouting and soybeans, the number one thing, and oh my goodness, I've heard so much about this here in the last few weeks, cupped soybeans. Okay, first of all, there's nothing you can do for cupped soybeans. The best thing you can hope for is rain. If you get rain, the cupping is going to end sooner rather than later. The other thing I'll tell you is the cupping a lot of times actually increases yield, doesn't hurt it. And if you don't believe that, just go out to some of your beans that are cupped versus some that aren't, or maybe in neighbors that aren't, and look at how many flowers are on the cup beans versus how many are on the other beans. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this dicamba drift or volatility that we're seeing all over the place, if it was physical drift where it blew directly on the soybeans right out of the corn or right out of the beans that the farmer was spraying with dicamba, if it blew right on it the same day, then yes, you have probably got some yield loss. But if it's just volatility where it picked up and moved a day or two later, the odds are very, very slim that you have any yield loss. It just looks bad. And believe me, I know because we have cut beans ourselves. And there are a lot of people panicked about this. And I try to remind them, all right, three years ago, we ran a study on our farm in conjunction with, I think it was still Monsanto then before it went bare. But anyway... <laughs> we were talking to some Monsanto people and they said, how would you guys like to do a little trial right across from your field day site? And we'd like you to kill some soybeans. They were Roundup Ready two beans. We said, well, sure, if you're willing to pay for the beans, that'd, that'd be just fine. So that's what we did. We killed a little block of beans. I don't remember how many acres it was, three acres or five acres or whatever. And then we tracked the movement. Now the wind was out of the south. So on the north side was where the concern was. And what we did is Rather than harvesting this with a big combine, we harvested it with us with our research combine. And I'm trying to think, and Darren, maybe you remember 15 foot head. I think it just had a 15 foot bean head on there. Was it? Was that it? I don't think it was 20 at that point. I think we were we were running a 15 foot small. head. Yep. And I don't have the data right in front of me, but I can just tell you this: that very first pass, so 15 feet from the point they stopped spraying. Well, yes, that had physical drift. The wind was out of the south. I mean, I don't care if the wind's blowing two miles an hour, but I I know the wind was blowing less than 10 miles an hour. I don't remember exactly what it was. The point is, the first pass, yes, yield got hurt a little bit. Guess where the highest yield in the whole field was? The second pass north of where we'd sprayed dicamba. The yield was higher there than anywhere else in the field, and then the yield continued to go down the further away we got from where the dicamba was sprayed. 
Back in the 50s and 60s, when Dicamba was first coming out and when, when it was first in, they are researching it and everything, they realized even way back then that if you got the timing just right and the rate just right, there actually could be yield increase. Because don't forget what it is. What is Dicamba? What is 2,4-D? They're really growth regulators. What they do, How here's how when Darren and I were kids, our dad described how 2,4-D and dicamba kill weeds, and this is true, they grow the plant to death. They grow the plant to death. It grows so fast, it can't. the internal systems in the plant can't handle it, and it dies. Okay, so when you stop and think about that, you're like, hey, wait a second here. Growing it to death, I get, but how about if we just increase growth a little bit? And you say, ooh, that, they could be onto something. Here's the problem. They tried it time and time again, and people are still trying it. So back when I was a young agronomist, now granted this is a while ago, but I had a farmer come in one year, and he goes, hey, I would like to buy an ounce of dicamba for all my bean acres. And I go, wait a second, wait, wait, wait. you mean your corn acres, right? And he goes, no, my beans. And anyway, he was trying to spray dicamba on his beans to simulate the volatility issue he had seen the year before that increased his yield by five bushels per acre. He's like, I want that five bushel gain. I go, well, I want you to get the five bushel gain. But the problem is, number one, the product you want to spray is off label. And number two, we don't know exactly what the right rate is. I know one ounce is too high. So how much is the right rate and when's the right timing? That stuff I don't know, and nobody's been able to really figure that out. But again, I want to come back to if you're out scouting your beans and you're saying, what can I do to increase yield and what can I not change? So I just have wasted three minutes of your life talking about something you can't change. But the point is I'm trying to help you understand since you can't change it, don't worry about it. Let's just see how the yield is. My assumption is the yield's going to be fine. Believe me, I don't like it. I don't like seeing my beans cupped either. But I don't care if my beans are cupped or not cupped. All I care about is yield at the end of the year. And based on our research work and a lot of other research work out there, if it's volatility, I'm not worried. If it's physical drift, then I would be. Okay, so in terms of other late season scouting things, it's weeds, it's insects, it's diseases. So if you've got late season weeds, I would just tell you, Yes, it's nice in beans mid-July. If you can get those weeds out of there, you can still make a difference in yield. You can't in corn. Once corn gets past a foot tall, you're wasting your time in terms of trying to impact yield this year by controlling weeds. Now, there's also the thing about next year and letting weeds go to seed, and I get that, whether we're talking corn, soybeans, wheat, anything. We don't want weeds to go to seed. Otherwise, you have to spend more money the next year. Okay, so that's weeds. Diseases. Don't give up on your beans too early. Um, and I'd say the same thing with bugs and mites. When you're out scouting mid-July and you haven't had a lot of rain, keep in mind, a lot of bean yield gets set in August. You get August rains and all of a sudden you could have some pretty darn good yield if you still gave that bean a fighting chance. So do what you can to control the weeds, insects, and diseases. We don't want you spending a fortune, but nevertheless, you got to get those things under control if you want good yields. So we'll talk about this throughout the show today. Again, if you want to give us a call, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. 
With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today and we're talking about late season scouting in soybeans or some would say mid-season scouting. All depends on how you look at it. It's getting late for a lot of the weed control options that you've got, those types of things. But uh, in terms of uh, the season, it's kind of mid-season. we got a little ways to go here before harvest. We'd love to hear from you. Love to hear what you're seeing out in your soybean fields right now. Phone lines are open at 844 44 ag phd uh, i had one come in though brian we're we're talking about fertilizer too in soybeans and if we need more to finish the year off and this one comes in from jason he said i'm in southern missouri in the ozark region and uh, i was watching your show here the other day just thinking about soybean nitrogen i yep. put on a 60 60 90 18 blend and for beans pe- yep wow that's good my, okay my Go ph ahead. is in the upper fives Organic matters in the mid twos. My beans are over knee high, not waist high yet, starting to flower. 140,000 population in a seven and a half inch row drill. Do you think that at pod set and fill, I could potentially gain more bushels by putting on more nitrogen? Or would I knock down as many plants as the yield I would gain since I'm in these seven and a half inch rows? Uh, if you think the fertilizer would help, what would you recommend? And by the way, I just wanted you to know I watch your show every week and use your apps. Really appreciate it. Dang. The one question I would like to have an answer to. Yes, is yield. What's his yield goal? All right. And Uh, and, Well, let's put it this way. I'll answer the question either way. So let's say that he's getting, yeah. Well, yeah. So I'll I'll answer it either way. Okay. Okay, So here are the the factors that we look at for adding more nitrogen. Um, How often have we had beans in that field? So if it's been every other year soybeans, you have more rhizobia there. However, if you've had flooding or 
you have pH way out of whack. And I don't love fives. Upper fives is a little on the low side. If it's me, I'm liming because that's going to hurt your rhizobia bacteria survival just a little bit. And it's going to hurt the production of nitrogen just a little bit. But you did put 60 units of nitrogen on. We don't know what there is for carryover. But my biggest concern and the biggest reason why I might consider adding some nitrogen is you only have organic matter in the twos. So let's say, for example, it's 2.5%. So what we could potentially expect for a full season would be somewhere in the 50 to 75 pound range coming out of that for nitrogen. So you, you look at, all right, 50 there, you got 60 applied, that's 110. And let's say you had 30 carried over from the year before, you're at 140. So I was just going to pull up the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app, and then let me just share this with you. So we're at 140 already before figuring nodulation at all. So if we were going for, let's just say, 50 bushel beans, in total you need 217 pounds of nitrogen, so two, or 217 and a half technically. So if you figure 218 minus 140, you're talking 78 pounds. Can the, back, can the rhizobia bacteria produce 78 pounds for you? I'd feel pretty confident that they would. And if you're going for 50 bushel beans, would I apply more nitrogen? No way. However, if I'm, let's say, going for 90 bushel beans, 90 bushel beans need 392 pounds of nitrogen. And if I've only got 140 there, then that tells me I need 252 more pounds. Do I feel 100% confident that the bacteria are going to create 252 more pounds for me? No, I do not. So if I'm going for 90, I probably would apply some nitrogen. It's tough in seven and a half inch rows because how are you going to get anything in between the rows? So a lot of times what we like doing is dribbling nitrogen on the ground or injecting it into the soil or something like that. If you're going over the top, you, you, let's say I was spraying 28% and I wanted to throw 10 gallons out there, that'd be 30 pounds of nitrogen. Just as an example, I'm not saying that's the rate to use, but I'm saying if you use 28% and 10 gallons, you'd have to throw it with at least 10, if not 20 gallons of water, so it doesn't hurt the beans. So that's the big concern that I've got. All right. Thanks for the question, Jason. We really appreciate that. Uh, let's head to the phone lines. Get our friend Kevin Matthews out in North Carolina right now. Kevin, sounds like you're busy today. Yeah, we're trying to finish up wide dropping corn and putting out fungicide and laying by beans and need about three more sprayers running and we'd be right, I guess. <laughs> That's the way it usually goes and, and need more good days to be able to get it all done. Now, you mentioned uh, doing some lay-by on the soybeans. What are you putting out there at this stage of growth and, and what stage are you at in those fields? Uh, we've got, uh, well, you know, our double crop soybeans, they're about the fourth trifoliate, so they're they're coming on strong. The early season beans that we plant in April, those guys are R3, R4. They're looking really good. As a matter of fact, uh, we're putting some growth regulators on there to try to keep those nodules stacked close, uh, the nodes, and, um, you know, help continue to promote branching and we like to keep that plant in that 36 inch height range if possible yeah that fortunately for us it normally isn't a problem keeping our beans short and i, I love that you mentioned that too because it's certainly going to vary depending on where you're at what maturity of beans you're growing and that kind of thing it's important to know the the beans that you got now you mentioned these double crap beans down at v4 so you got some beans have a ways to go yet what are you seeing out in the fields right now in in the big beans versus the shorter beans uh the big beans 
you know, we're setting, you know, we're filling pods and we're setting new pods. We're indeterminates and um, they're doing a real good job. We're seeing a little bit of disease come in, not much. We're putting our Revitech fungicide on right now from BSF and uh, putting some foliars in there as well. We really like to push that potassium this time of year and the boron and just try to get a real good grain size, get that seed sized up real nice and pretty. And and uh, alluding to your question earlier, if we're over a 70 bushel yield, we're going to be adding some nitrogen in there. We're going to be using some 318-18 and uh, throw some potassium acetate in there. Uh, it's a real safe nitrogen product, and that helps pull that potassium and nitrogen or the potassium and the phosphorus into the plant a little better as long as well as our micros. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing trying to shove more nutrition into the bean plant as they're rapidly using nitrogen trying to, and, and other nutrients trying to fill those pods up. Do you see any any pod feeding insects out there? I know we've heard in different areas of the country stink bugs being seen in bigger numbers or Japanese beetles. Anything you got out in the fields? We've seen a few Japanese beetles, seen a few uh, soybean loopers. Uh, you know, the corn, corn earworms, they move over into the soybean fields. So we got the small grain. So when the wheat's cut, um, they're looking for another feeding source. So they kind of jump to the corn, and then they get done with the corn, and they jump to the soybeans. So sometimes both at the same time. But they've been kind of light this year. Uh, it's not been as heavy a pressure as we've seen in the past. But yeah, you got to keep your game on. We, you know, one of our employees—that's why all he does all week long is go from field to field checking. Now, when you're looking at plant tissue on soybeans, it's been a debate. I know V4 pretty easy. You could take the whole plant if you like. R3, R4 on on indeterminate beans versus determinate beans. The indeterminates you got them already maxed out in growth. Or, I'm sorry, the determinates you're already maxed out in growth. The indeterminates you still have a little more growth to go. Is there a certain node that you target in your pulling tissue samples on your farm, or are you taking the whole plant? What are you doing at the at the R three R four stage? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and there's a lot of variance. If you do it wrong, you'll you'll be chasing your tail. You need to take what we found, and and it works. It gives consistent data. Is the latest, most full mature trifoliate in the upper part of the plant. So that does not mean the newest growth that's a small leaf. It will really throw your tissue analysis off if you take those leaves. You want to get the fully mature last node on top of the plant, that last trifoliate that's the fullest, thickest leaf in the very top. You might have to dig for it a little bit, but that's what you want to get. All right, last question for you. This is a toughie. When do you quit irrigating on irrigated beans? Do you go all the way up until you see senescence? Do you stop sooner than that? Uh, how late do you go? Yeah, we will go uh, up to that. Um, you know, when that membrane separates from the seed, technically it's mature and done. So that's kind of a target spot we go for. Totally agree. I like splitting open fourth, those pods as well. Yeah, fourth node down as well. You bet. Well, talking with Kevin Matthews here in North Carolina. Kevin, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Good luck with all those applications you're making. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio.
Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 240 applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about late season scouting in soybeans. That means right now, if you're wondering, well, what does late season mean? No, it means right now, this week, and for the for the coming few weeks here, you can't quit scouting yet. Doesn't matter if it's hot. Doesn't matter if the beans finally have a dew on them in our area, which I'm personally very thankful for, but... I know some of our uh, young guys that have been out doing some scouting for us have said, man, we're just soaked from the thigh down going through these fields. Yes, it's going to be a little wet in the morning, no doubt about that, but but that's okay. We we like the moisture. We appreciate that. Uh, somebody else scouting some fields in South Dakota is Jonathan Kleinjohn with South Dakota State University. He's an extension crop specialist. Jonathan, how's it going? 
Oh, it's going well. We had a nice little shower in Brookings again this morning. Outstanding. You can use it as well. I, I know we're not turning down rains in July in South Dakota, but it does lead to the the questions. All right, so now it looks like we might have a crop here. What are some of the things guys should be looking for out in fields right now, and, and what are you hearing around the state that, that farmers are seeing in soybean fields? Well, I haven't heard a whole lot uh, on the disease front, although um, this time of year we, we could be looking for maybe some septoria or some frog-eyed leaf spot. Uh, uh, I had a question last week, should I be scouting for white mold? And I guess I would say it doesn't hurt to scout for it. I would say conditions, uh, well, in this area anyway, have been pretty, I'd say, unfavorable to white mold. That doesn't mean they can change, but given the weather forecast, uh, the hot, hot dry uh, conditions, and then I would say kind of a lack of vegetative growth or, or not as much as we typically have are, are not going to be very conducive to white mold development this year. All right, I've had two insect questions. Let me throw them at you because one of them we, we see pretty much every year in South Dakota, to some degree, grasshoppers. I've talked to a number of farmers that said, man, I cut some hay, and the grasshoppers just started moving right in uh, in central South Dakota. Are you seeing that as a widespread thing, or is that more of a central and west problem so far? You know, I, I talked to the entomologist, uh, my colleague Adam Varenhorst, um, and when was it a couple of days ago? And he said the biggest things they've been seeing are, are the grasshoppers this year in the central part of the state. And, and, you know, they're just a dry weather pest. If you don't get the early spring rains to kind of wash some of their eggs away in the spring, it it's just kind of seems to be what happens. Um, and then uh, the redheaded flea beetles are starting to show up too. And, and I can't comment too uh, in depth on these as it's a little bit out of the realm of my expertise. Yeah, I've seen flea beetles on our farm already. The other thing that I saw is Japanese beetles. In fact, I stepped out of my house, and one of the uh, plants that's right outside of my landscaping, I saw two Japanese beetles, and somehow they accidentally found their way underneath my shoe. So I'm doing my part trying to stop them, but I'm sure there's a few more out there. You know, what do you do, I guess, when you see some of these newer pests to the state? Uh, what, What should growers do if they see something unusual out there feeding on their crop? Well, I guess uh, the first thing you'd want to do is get a correct identification and then uh, talk to uh, your local extension person or your local agronomist and see what the threshold is. Uh, I remember seeing Japanese beetles last year, and, uh, you know, it was just a few here and there, so it wasn't enough to worry about. But uh, once you see those things, you want to kind of keep an eye on the field and make sure those populations don't get out of control. Yeah, I I just think they're kind of like rats, uh, Jonathan, that when you see a few of them, you know there's more out there somewhere. And you're certainly not, uh, like me, uh, going to be naive enough to think, oh, yeah, there's only two, and I took care of that problem. No, there's, there's probably more where they came from. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on here today. Good luck here the rest of the summer. All right, you too. Let's head down to Mississippi. We got Trey Kroger with us right now. Uh, he's an agronomist down there. Trey, how you doing? And we're doing well. How are you? Not too bad. All right. What are you seeing in Mississippi now? And I know we'd heard earlier about some flooding issues. Uh, how, how have things turned out through that situation? It really depends on where you're at. Um, the the most catastrophic flooding, which occurred right about a month ago, uh, was in the northwest part of the state, in the north part of the delta, the um, northern part of the the Mississippi Delta, kind of Highway 82, is kind of the dividing line. There were some places that were seeing anywhere from 15 to 18 inches of rain in just a little over 24 hours. And uh, 
that amount of rain coupled with rivers backing out, uh, backwater flooding. Uh, it was it was catastrophic for some people, depending on where you're at. So a lot of replanting. Uh, some acres that simply just weren't replanted because it was the bottom portions of fields or um, you know the, the, the very bottom parts of fields, and they just elected not to uh, replant. Some of those acres already had polytype blades for uh, furrow irrigation, so uh, it just created a mess. Uh, really, and everybody was a little bit different as far as how they responded. Yeah, it, it just sounded terrible. And anytime you hear that much rain coming that soon, I don't care where you are, that's going to create some issues, no doubt about that. Uh, okay, so uh, after effects here, you've got some crop that's lost, then there's less crop out there. Did the bugs move into the other crop, or, or did they get just devastated in that too? Uh, you know, I really haven't gotten into uh, a tremendous amount of insect pressure um, as a whole. You know, and cotton obviously is you know, a little bit different um, versus our corn and soybean acres. But uh, from an insect standpoint, thus far as a whole, it's been fairly quiet. Um, you know, it, it's coming, especially on some of these late acres. So that crop's going to be out there for a longer period of time. But uh, as a whole, um, the insect and disease pressure has been fairly light. But but it's coming. It, you know, you just get ready down here. It's always coming. So. You know, we were talking earlier with uh, Kevin out in North Carolina. He said he had beans at R3, R4. They were out putting on fungicides, doing some different things. What are the practices down there in Mississippi? Would you say disease protection is a multi-pass approach once you get into those reproductive stages, or are most guys just doing one pass? Most of the acres down here are going to be in a single-pass fungicide program, you know, that R3 timing, uh, which typically in this in the Mid-South, you know, it occurs over about a three-week period of time, depending on when you're looking at it. But as the crop continues to grow, we'll, we'll be in that R3 timing for, a, you know, a two- to three-week period of time. But most of our acres uh, that are going to receive that foliar fungicide application are going to get a single application, you know, somewhere around R3. All right, we get a lot of questions about nutrients as well. And do you see the high-yield guys putting on nitrogen in your area? Are they putting on other nutrients late, or are most of those applications wrapped up? Uh, one, most of those applications are wrapped up. But two, we have seen a, an increase in uh, foliar uh, fertilizer applications and, and soybeans. And a lot of that's probably going to be in the form of ammonium sulfate. Uh, there are other uh, products um, that uh, may be utilized to achieve a, a pretty similar results, but uh, we have seen a, an uptick or an increase, if you will, in, in the use of foliar fertilizers uh, in soybeans. And a lot of that's going to occur within a vegetative growth stage to get it out there, get it uh, incorporated in the soil, get it taken up by the plant to get the full benefit out of it. But we see an increase in that in recent years. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting as you talk to farmers in different parts of the country just exactly what the practices are, but I agree with you. There's there's more guys putting on some plant food late, trying to shoot for some high yields. Talking with Trey Kroger, he's an agronomist down in Mississippi. Trey, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here the rest of the season. Yep, appreciate it. Thank you. Got a couple of soybean questions that came in, and, and one came in, and I like this one, from from Joe in, New, in Ohio. He said, yeah, I'm out scouting soybean fields. I've got deer that are having a feast on the edges of my soybean fields. I know other people have to have this problem. What is anybody doing that's having some success keeping deer out of the soybean fields? I don't know. 
I, I, I mean, we have the same exact issue and it was interesting, like for our dad, he's like, oh, I can solve this problem. We'll run the rows, um, I, I, in corn anyway, against the the trees instead of like, uh, so it would be easy to walk out into the rows. Boy, I'm explaining this terribly. Uh, but <laughs> my, my point is, that. I'll run the rows a different direction. Okay, let's just sum it up I'm just watching Brad's that. hand gestures it back here. They're going all different it was, directions. It was bad. It was I don't bad. even know what he's talking about. But, but anyway, yeah, that didn't work at all. And nor have we found anything that works with the soybean deal other than we basically, I'm not going to say abandon these beans, but right next to a shelter belt or a the river or something where there are lots of deer, there's no point in spending all kinds of money on those beans when they're going to eat as much as they are. Now, the opposite way to think about that would be, well, boy, I want to raise amazing beans so the beans or so the deer don't get further out in my field. Unfortunately, we don't have an answer. We have more answers for other questions, though, right after this. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today, talking about late season scouting in soybeans, taking your calls and agronomic questions too. I got a hey. Oh, before we get to any more questions, let me just say something on this late season scouting deal. The number one thing that we are always talking to you about here at Ag PhD is making more money in the farm. And what I always encourage people to look at is we're not about spending more dollars if you can't make money on those dollars. But the good news today is, at least locally, our bean price for new crop is 13 bucks. So in other words, if let's say I have something I wanted to spend money on that costs $2, like insecticide, even if I figure, oh, I'm gonna run my sprayer out there and spend another four or even five, whatever, let's say it's five, I got $7 into it. If I gain one bushel of beans, I doubled my money. If you could put, $50,000 in the bank, and you could double your money three months from now, would you do it? <laughs> you wouldn't even think twice about it. You would do it. And the thing with insects and mites, for that matter, um, I don't think in a lot of cases you're only going to gain one bushel. If you feel like you have an economic threshold, a lot of times um, you, that, that, that level you have might gain you two, three, five bushels, something like that. I mean, just think if you gain five bushels. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking $65 return on a $7 investment. That sounds like an absolute home run to me. And that's where I'm going with this. And I'm not saying, oh, we should all go out and spray insecticide and we should all go out and spray fungicide. But what I am saying is, scout your fields. And if you got problems out there, let's fix them because you have $13 beans. And there's a really good chance that you can get a good payback. Now, fungicide, the problem with that, and so I, Darren and uh, 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 Jonathan Kleinjohn were talking about scouting for white mold. There is no such thing. You can't scout for white mold other than if you want to say, I'm scouting for the mushrooms. Okay, then I get it. But by the time you see white mold affecting your plants, you're already too late. You already lost the yield. So it's not going to do you a tremendous amount of good to go out there and spray a fungicide at that point. You got to be ahead of it. So that's the challenge with diseases is you say, all right, I'm taking my chances. And I will say like the weather for us turned in the last 10 days. In June, we had super hot and dry weather. Well, now we have cool and wet weather. I mean, we haven't had a 90-degree day yet, I don't think, in July. If we have, I don't remember it. But the point is, almost every day is 70s, maybe low 80s, and we have very high humidity, and now we're getting rainfall. And it's like, all of a sudden, hey, I got a chance for disease now. I wasn't thinking that in June. I'm sure thinking that in July. So that's the thing with uh, disease. And, and when it comes to weeds, it's literally just scouting for weeds. If you got weeds, you got to go spray them. Um, you just have to do it. It's just you're really limited on which products you can spray at this point. But you can spray Liberty and Roundup all the way through R2, R2. And you do not reach R3 until in the top four nodes with fully open trifoliates, you have a pod that I think, if I remember the number right, it's three sixteenths of an inch long. 
then you're finally at R3. But a lot of our beans right now are R2. So technically, I could go out and spray Liberty. I could go spray Roundup if my crop is tolerant to that. I could still spray Cobra. I don't want to spray Cobra, but I could spray Cobra. Uh, so yeah, there are some things off the table at this point. Uh, you know, you, oh, and sorry, I got to correct myself. I said Liberty. I meant Enlist 1. Liberty's done at R1. Enlist 1 is the product you could spray up to R2. So yeah, you got to take Liberty off the table if you're at R2. You got to take Dicamba off the table if you're at R2. But you don't have to take Enlist 1 off or Roundup or Cobra. There are a few products that could be used. Heck, even ba old Bassagran. Uh, uh, anyway, there, there are some products that still could be used for weed control. And there's always the old... Um, hey, I, I'm going to take a hoe out there or I'm going to go pull the weeds. And I know it's not super fun, but if you only have a few hundred weeds in the field, you could certainly do that and save some money as well. All right, let's jump back to questions. What you got there, Darren? Well, we had one yesterday and this one came in from the state of Texas wondering about brown top panicum or sour grass. Yeah, he said sour grass and we weren't sure what that was. So he checked with his agronomist and he found out, okay, here's the name brown top brown top panicum oh so anyway it was here here was his challenge he had said yesterday it was in bermuda grass that he's just trying to get established that's the problem if pastora and i mentioned that yesterday we were talking about grass control in grass crops like bermuda grass uh, you can use pastora that's by the way a combination of ally and accent if you're familiar with those well, Pastora, you can't spray it in year one with Bermuda grass. You have to wait till year two or later. But this brown top panicum that he has, Pastora will kill it. Brown top panicum is just an annual weed. It's just a summer annual weed. So it's it's no real big deal. Uh, Plateau is another commonly used grass herbicide. The in-grass pastures can't use that because it's not, well, you could use it, but it's not labeled to control it, nor is it labeled on uh Bermuda grass you're just trying to establish. Outrider is a product that is commonly sold in winter wheat, but it actually can be used in Bermuda grass four weeks after emergence of the Bermuda grass. So that could be used. Unfortunately, it's not labeled for control of brown top panicum either. So in summary, unfortunately, I can't find anything year one that's going to stop this warm season annual weed called sour grass or brown top panicum in Bermuda grass. So sorry, I wish I had the answer for you, but that's the best I can do. So honestly, if it's me, I'm thinking, you know what, I'm just going to try to get by this year and next year, if some of this comes back in my Bermuda grass, now I'm going to hit it with Pastora. I got a product that can be used, a product that's safe, and I'm good to go. All right. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. I got this one from Bob and he said, I, I got my, I want to switch gears here. I got my milo in the ground but i didn't get it sprayed at planting time and it's already starting to emerge i've got atrazine at home and i'm wondering how long i can spray atrazine in milo if that's similar to the height restrictions of corn and also just wondering are there other things that should be mixed in with atrazine to broaden my weed control spectrum you know there are there are not as many options in Milo for post-emerge weed control as in other crops. And one of them that I get concerned about, if you didn't get that pre down, is going to be grass. Now, atrazine's got a little bit of activity on grass, but most guys are just running a pint, which is only like a half pound of actual active ingredient. And at a half a pound of 
atrazine, your grass control is not going to be great. So that's a real concern for me. Now, on the broadleaf side, you could certainly add some dicamba to the atrazine. Uh, you've got husky that would work, uh, starane next, uh, lots of different products there. On the grass side, really, other than facet, that that would probably be it for broadleaf control. Oh, I should have mentioned Brox as well, or, or the old uh, bromoxanil is another thing you could add with that atrazine to, to broaden the weed control spectrum in terms of broadleaf weeds. So, yeah, you got dicamba and atrazine, you got starane next, you got husky, uh, bromoxanil, and then those would all be broadleaf options. Facet would be a, a grass control option. And yeah, if you're going to use the atrazine, you want to get it sprayed early. Uh, that's going to be your best bet to try to help things out. So yeah, get that get that crop sprayed before it gets real tall. Definitely not taller than 12 inches. Right. You can't spray past 12 inches. And by the way, so I was talking to an agronomist today who was who was just talking about some high use rates of atrazine that people are using. And I said, well, let's keep in mind, you can only apply two pounds in one shot. Now, technically, you can apply two and a half pounds per season, but you have carryover issues to be concerned with, too, especially if you have high pH. But anyway, yeah, coming back to this Milo thing, uh, I mean, it's not like it's crazy concerning to me that you didn't get the prion, but still it's it's concerning because we just don't have a lot of great options post-emerge. Uh, we have some good ones, but, you know, not a tremendous amount. And I, I just like having the pre on there so we get overall better weed control, which typically leads to overall better yield. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, I got one from Ray that we'll get to right after this break. And Ray's got an issue. He said, I've got a small farm. I'm purchasing hay, straw, as well as grain. And after I clean out my barn, I've got all of these mixed in the manure. Starting to see some curling of some of the plants uh, in my garden where I'm spreading some of this manure. What could be the problem? We'll talk about that and answer his question right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. 
Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Also, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We got this one from Ray. He said, I farm in the Ozarks. I'm purchasing hay, straw, and grain. And as I clean out my barn, all three are mixed in the manure, and they are curling up some plants in my vegetable garden. I have not sprayed anything. I do not know what the hay and wheat fields have been treated with, though. I'm wondering, could it be due to a carryover yep. of pesticide? Absolutely, it could. Yeah, that's but that's something I, you, you certainly have to be aware of is where those products wait, are coming from. Yeah, but stop. Um, I, I doubt that this is the problem. What I would assume the problem is, is salt. And I, I'm speaking from firsthand experience with this when... We had the exact same issue years ago. It was probably 25 years ago. I was a relatively young agronomist then. And on our farm, we'd spread some manure in the summer because we had taken just a little bit off or it was some plot or something we did. So we put some manure there. And then the next year, right in that area, our beans were cupped. And everywhere else in the field, everything was fine. And I thought, oh, there must have been something in the manure. manure. What was the problem? Whatever. And then I thought back, wait a second here. We only had a little spot. We had a bunch of manure. How much did we put on there again? And so I asked her guys how much we put on. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? We can't put that much manure on. And we, we just had an overload of salt. The year, the following year, everything was just fine. Uh, but that was the problem. And my guess is that's the problem here. There got to be too much manure there. So it was an overload of nutrients or more likely an overload of salt. Now, certainly it's possible that something could have remained in that uh, that straw that you've got there. Uh, but I, I just I'm concerned that it would be salt or something else. So I, I don't know what it is. Is it possible herbicide? Yes. Is it possible salt? Yes. Could be some other things too. I don't really know what was in that. You could certainly, if you had any of it left, you could test it, but I don't know that you'd be able to find anything at this point. 
All right. Thank you for the question. We appreciate that. Got one from Derek that came in with a picture, and he said, I noticed in some soybean fields that the top parts of the plants are starting to die off. Looks like there's a wormhole in and out of the main stem on the plant. Do you know what bug could have caused this? We're in east-central Minnesota. Uh, yes, I do, Derek. That looks like Dectus stembor. So it's D-E-C-T-E-S. You can find more information on the Ag PhD Field Guide app. Uh, if you would like, they bore a hole in, they move down that main stem. A lot of times you can find them. Uh, the picture you've got is a great picture where they bored in right at a node, which is often where they go in, and then they move down the stem. And, and this one actually came out the other end. Sometimes you'll find them in there too. So do keep your eye out. They're kind of an interesting looking uh, beetle that eventually becomes a larvae. And that, that worm stage is what's chewing through your plant. Yeah, but let's talk about solving the problem. How are you going to solve the problem? Well, once, once they're inside the stem, <laughs> you're you're not going to do a very good job getting them under right. control. That's right. So that's why we we often stress the importance of scouting early. When you see harmful insects out there, get them sprayed immediately. So my advice to farmers I'm talking to on a regular basis is just have insecticide on hand on the farm all throughout the growing season. So in case you're out there scouting on a Saturday afternoon or evening and you go, uh-oh, I see this bug, and uh, if it lays eggs, which it might by Monday, I'm in trouble, pull the sprayer out and spray that evening or the very next morning and you can be done, well, you're not going to be able to get product in that amount of time. So just have it on hand. It costs $2 an acre. All right, we had a question earlier about deer getting into soybeans. Doug sent in a response. He said, we use electric fence. We plant green into waist-high cereal cover crops, and that works pretty well for us. Uh, and Gary said, uh, how about planting something the deer might prefer instead when presented with a choice? <laughs> yep. They like uh, sainfoin, is that how you would say that? And ladino clover better than they like soybeans. I don't happen to live in a soybean area, so I don't know if this is practical, but I do know the deer really like those forages instead. The hard part may be getting the trap crop established because deer really eat them pretty hard. <laughs> hey, thanks yep. for the feedback, guys. We really appreciate that. All right, Brian, uh, get this one in that I thought was kind of interesting and sad, too, to me. A uh, city in Ohio caught after 20 years of dumping sewage as much as 150 million gallons of sewage a year dumped into a tributary to Lake Erie. That's tremendous. And their fine was $30,000 total? Are you kidding me? That'd be $2 per person in the city. And by the way, the fine could be applied to remediation steps. So they didn't even have to spend the money on the fine and send it to the EPA. They could just spend it to fix the problem. Um, last night, I just happened to catch some little clip of... Down in Texas, the lieutenant governor was going crazy because he's like, we're, we're, we're doing this, this voting bill to expand voting. And all these papers are saying, well, we're trying to close down voting and it's racist and everything else. And he's like, I'm sick of it. I'm not taking it anymore. It's a complete lie and everything else. And I just, I, 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 I'm not trying to talk about politics at all here. I just thought, that's the exact same frustration level that I feel when I see nonsense like this. Yet, if I read in papers, I, just for example, there's a lake near us and they send out this little paper, I don't know, once, twice a year, something like that. And I, I just saw it here last month. And right in the front cover of this, it said, 
something about phosphorus and and just water quality in lake. And what do they show? What's the picture? It's drain tile. <laughs> I'm like, you people have no clue what you're talking about. Right next to their lake is the city's sewage plant. And whenever there's too much water, like there was in both 2018 and 2019, guess where the sewage runs into? It runs into the lake, dumping millions and millions and millions of gallons of raw sewage into their lake. Well, what do you think's going to happen? It's just like this. You know, out in Lake Erie, they were trying to blame farmers a few years ago for this nonsense about, oh, we have all the algae blooms and everything. Well, of course you do. Look at all the cities and look at where the algae blooms are. They're right next to the cities. It doesn't take anybody smart at all to figure that out, yet they were trying to fill the world with this nonsense that, well, it was farmers that caused the problem in Lake Erie. Come on ridiculous. And part of the reason cities continue to do this is because the EPA doesn't even find them when they do it. They dumped 150 million gallons of sewage into this river for 20 straight years. Now, I'm bad at math, but uh, by my calculations, that's 3 billion gallons of raw sewage. Now, let's just think about your farm. And let's say you've got some livestock there. I just told you that a city dumped and I don't know exactly what the number is, and nobody does, 3 billion gallons of raw sewage into a river, okay? And they got fined $30,000, which they don't even have to spend on a fine. They can spend it to fix the problem. Now, if a farmer instead, not 3 billion, but they put 3,000 gallons into a river, what do you think the fine would be? Do you think it would be more than $2 per person? Do you think that the government might want to shut that farm down even or make the farm go bankrupt because they had a little bit of sewage go into the river. I am absolutely sick of it, and I'm tired of hearing the nonsense that farmers are polluting the earth. Come on. Farmers are saving the earth. Everybody wants to talk about greenhouse gases. You know what the number one greenhouse gas is? Carbon dioxide. You know what our plants breathe in? Carbon dioxide. If we have higher yields, we have more carbon dioxide going into the plants, and there's less greenhouse gas out there. Okay, We're saving the earth. If you Whether you believe in global warming or not, I don't, but let's say that you do. Uh, it's farmers that have the answer to that, just like how farmers very well manage their raw sewage that they have with livestock compared to most cities. So anyway, I just would encourage you you can look at Google Earth, look at the map of almost every city in the United States, and just see where is their sewage going? Where's their water treatment plant? Where's the sewage treatment plant? Well, in a lot of cases, it's right by the river. And what do you think happens when there's excess water? Or in some cases, there's even excess sewage. There was a town right near us that they were getting a permit to dump raw sewage in just because... They didn't have enough storage space. Didn't, weren't even getting water or anything else. And they were trying to get a permit to just dump it into the river. <laughs> Insane. So anyway, I encourage you, push back on the nonsense because farmers are doing great. And it's a lot of these other issues that we've got out there, like cities dumping raw sewage for 20 years into rivers. Thanks for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.